It's great to be here this morning. Are you glad to be here? Yeah. New lifers. It's a relief not to set up the equipment, isn't it? Thank you, Revelation. Jules, what a joy to have your band. Amazing. It's just wonderful. Thank you. It's, um, it, it's so good to be in the body of Christ, isn't it? So the church is so much bigger than our own little worlds, isn't it? And uh, uh, j- just that the, the Holy Spirit, you know, is, is here for all of us all the time. So encouraged this morning. I don't know who it was who gave that, read that Psalm 20. Thank you, Patrick. Amen. Um, who read that Psalm, Psalm 20? But um, uh, when I was a teenager... Wow, this is an amazing place. <laughs> My height too. Um, when I was a teenager, I was helping on some children's camps, um, which I did for a number of years. And the first year I had a tent, and the kids ran riot. I tried really hard to control them. I failed utterly. And um, the, the next morning, one of the boys in that tent, turned out to be quite a naughty boy, came up and he said, I feel God's given me a, a psalm to give to you. It was Psalm 20. And for me, it's always been a psalm for me personally. You know, may the Lord say, send help from his sanctuary. I needed it that day. And this morning, I'm sitting there in the congregation. I said, Lord, I need some help, please. I will send you support from Zion. May he send help from the sanctuary. How encouraging God is. Some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let's just pray for a moment. I'd like this this morning to be a continuation of our worship. Um, Don't switch off from God as you're listening. This morning it's going to be a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Feel free as I talk to close your eyes and as I I read out the scriptures to just absorb uh, what God has put in his word. Father, we come to you. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would give us understanding. We humble ourselves, Lord, and we say we see through a glass darkly. We don't see clearly. There are many things about your death and resurrection that we do not understand. Father, would you unstop our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you show us new and wonderful things in your word? Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I'm going to talk about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Exciting subject. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, it says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. This is very important. It's of first importance this morning. That Christ died for our sins. Are you glad he died for your sins? According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. I think it was Tozer, some of you probably remember that old name, who said truth has two wings. Often we get our doctrines out of balance by only going for one wing. But the gospel has two wings. One is the death of Jesus. The second is the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to fly mainly on one wing this morning. But you'll see as we look at these scriptures that they are very much connected. 
In the Old Testament, King David predicted the resurrection of Jesus. He put himself into the, 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 the words, into the person of the Messiah. And in Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And David could look ahead in time, and he saw that the Messiah, when the Messiah died, that his body would not be left to rot in the grave. This was about 850 years before the uh, death of Jesus. Luke 18, Jesus himself predicted his death and resurrection often. It's extraordinary, but as you look at the Gospels, there are many verses, very similar, but we realize that there were three times when God, uh, through Jesus, specifically predicted his death. It's like he was managing their expectations or trying to manage them, but they didn't quite get it. And I'm just going to read out to you the third one here in Luke 18. This is in the run-up to the cross. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. Scary moment. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And he will be mocked. And he will be shamefully treated. And he will be spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. This is really an accurate description of the true horror of what Jesus went through on the cross. And why did he go through these things? Because he loved us. Because he wanted to identify with everybody who'd been spat upon. Everybody who had been bruised. Everybody who was broken. Everybody who had mental anguish. He went through the same things. And clearly these things are predicted before his death. And then it says, and on the third day, he will rise So Jesus, as he approached death, he knew that he was going to be raised from the dead. But interestingly, it says in the next verse, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. That's a bit like us, isn't it? We're a bit thick to spiritual things. We don't easily pick up things. And sometimes we just forget things. At some time in our life, the cross excited us. I remember Evan Roberts, uh, once he, he went, uh, if you remember Evan Roberts or know about Evan Roberts, he was the leader really of the Welsh revival. And uh, he realized at one point that his heart wasn't broken anymore when he thought about the cross. He went back to God, he repented, he said, my heart has become hard. And as uh, he prayed, God broke his heart again so that when he heard what Jesus did on the cross, his heart was broken again at the wonder of the love of God. We get a bit hard in our hearts, don't we? It says they didn't understand these things. They were hidden from them. They were blind. They didn't grasp what was said. And then there's this amazing time when... um, Jesus is involved in the resurrection before he died. When Lazarus, do you remember Lazarus, um, the, uh, the brother of Mary and Martha? And he had died and Jesus left him three days to rot in that grave until Martha said, don't open that, that grave, please, because by now he stinks. That's what she said. 
And Jesus had a different perspective. Jesus said to her, John eleven twenty six, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Interesting question. My dear mother-in-law went to be with Jesus uh, in her uh, 90s, the year before last. And I don't remember much about the service, except that it was a happy service. Because we knew where she, she knew where she was going. And we knew where she was going as well. But many of the people in that uh, funeral, and I've got two coming up myself of, of uh, relatives and friends next week, Thursday and Friday. So this is fresh in my mind. And in that little church, there were two different people, two groups of people there. There were believers and there were unbelievers. And my wife's cousin's husband was the vicar that day. And he changed the wording that as they brought in the coffin, you know, they, they read out these wonderful scriptures. And they start with this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die, never die. And then he added those words, do you believe this? And so we had to question our hearts, did we believe this? I could say I did believe it, but I knew there were many unbelievers in that room who could not say that if I believe in him, I will never die. Amazing. And then Jesus did die. The cross. This very dark day. The worst thing happened. And because they hadn't believed, they were completely devastated. Can you imagine the feelings that they went through of intense sorrow, intense sadness, of despair? This leader that was going to bring in this new thing had been crucified. And they were terrified because they probably thought, well, we are the next people in line for this. And so they huddled away and they had this tremendous sense of failure because they're not just Peter, but all of them said, we will never leave you. We will never forsake you. And yet within 24 hours, they had all forsaken him. So they would have had that deep sense of failure because they hadn't believed what Jesus had said. There's such comfort in believing God's word. And so the story continues. And I believe that in, at uh, Rev, you've been leading up to this story. Luke 24, 1 to 12. I'm just going to read this out. Close your eyes if you like and just imagine the story. Sometimes it's good to just get into the story, isn't it? Forget it as being something religious. But it's a story that's being told here. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground But the men said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living in a cemetery? He's not here. He's risen. 
Don't you remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe them. They didn't believe the women because the words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You can open your eyes now. Story's over. You see, they didn't, still didn't believe. And actually, in the other Gospels, it said that Peter, he even got there to the resurrection. He saw the linen clothes, but he still, it says, did not understand these things. But then two things happened that changed everything. The first thing is that they had an individual experience of the risen Jesus. It's amazing as you go from Mary Magdalene to Peter to John to Thomas the doubting one and to where Peter met Jesus on the beach. Do you remember that? That wonderful story where Jesus made breakfast for them. It's all part of the resurrection story. Before he ascended, he said, come, come and have breakfast with me. What a wonderful thing to say. He knew that's what they needed. Thomas needed to put his hand into the the side of Jesus because he didn't believe that it was really him. Others needed to know that he loved them. But everybody had an individual experience. None of them believed until Jesus revealed himself to them. And you know, we're like that too. Second thing is they experience resurrection power. Acts 1.8, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from the high, on high. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So one, they had an individual, unique experience of Jesus. And we all need that. And secondly, they received power. They waited on the day of Pentecost and suddenly there was a great noise like the the sound of of a, a mighty rushing wind and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They received that resurrection power. So actually on the day of Pentecost when Peter got up to preach, he was a completely different person. He was utterly convinced that the scriptures were were true and that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he was filled with an unearthly power. When I was a teenager in 1974, to give you a clue, um, uh, age 17, and um, somebody explained to me one Sunday, one January Sunday afternoon, an old vicar came to our school. He explained to me that if I would ask Jesus into my life, 
then I, could be, I would be a Christian. I'd been confirmed, I'd been through all that stuff, but it hadn't made any difference at all. And so I said, yes, I'm ready to offer my life to God. Um, and I prayed and I asked him in. As far as I was concerned, I wasn't expecting to feel any different. I went to sleep that night, and in the morning I woke up, and I met with the risen Jesus. I felt like I had been completely washed inside. I felt the presence of God. I had a joy, a happiness that flooded my being, that carried me through the next few weeks. I told all my friends and my teachers and my family and anybody that would listen to me because I was convinced. I didn't have to read a book about the resurrection. I was convinced that it was true. One of the songs we used to sing in those days at a camp I went to was, I Serve a Living Saviour. Anybody know that one? Yeah, there's some nice modern versions of it on YouTube, a bit more jazzy. He lives, he lives, he lives. And it goes on, it says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's how I know he lives. Because every morning I wake up and I know that if I will draw near to him, that he will draw near to me. He lives within my heart. And we need as Christians to keep that living experience. We are witnesses of the resurrection. Peter said, and we are witnesses of the resurrection. And a witness is somebody that simply says what they have seen and heard. We have to make this experience real by staying in communication with Jesus. Listen to Peter, Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He'd had a revelation of Jesus, who it says in Acts 3 was the prince of life. And he, he just thought, it's impossible that this man could be kept within death. He is the prince of life. He is the resurrection and the life. Death cannot hold him. He must break through from this. He had such a revelation of who Jesus really was. Twice the man that he believed him to be when he walked upon this earth. You killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 8.11 is an incredible verse that we can apply to ourselves. It's a, it's a promise and it's a, it's a fact that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... Point to, your, point to yourself. If the, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in me, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What a promise that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to these things to our mortal bodies, even today. I wonder whether you've ever considered what actually happened that day when Jesus died upon the cross. He was tortured 
um, his, his head uh, was, was wounded by the thorns that had been pressed into his brow. His beard had been ripped out. His face had been punched by the soldiers. The Bible describes it that his face was marred more than any man. His back had been ripped over by the cat of nine tails or whatever the equivalent was that day. There would have been very little flesh left on his back. He'd had a spear in his side and and blood and water had poured out of his body. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had sweat blood. What did his body look after that? That was the body that was wrapped by Nicodemus and by, um, uh, was it Joseph of Arimathea, um, who took the body and they wrapped it up and they put it in that tomb. It was a broken body. And on the resurrection day, the Holy Spirit went into that tomb. And not only did he breathe life into that dead body, he healed the body of Jesus. And even more than that, he gave him a resurrection body that was capable of walking through walls and even flying up to heaven. And this is the kind of body that we will have when we go to be with Jesus. A resurrection body that he has bought with his blood. That same spirit, where does that spirit dwell? In me, in you. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. Acts 4.33 says that Peter, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that when we are with our friends, when we are with our families, when we have opportunity to share the gospel, we need to believe that that same spirit will anoint us and give us power in the job that God has given us to do. Paul, who did not have the experience of seeing the risen Jesus like the other disciples did, he met him on the road to Damascus much later. But he said in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ. This was his goal. This was his ambition. There's one thing I want to do. I want to know him. And I want to know the power of the resurrection. If there's any way, it says, he also says, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be with him in every way, if I may, by some way, experience the power of his resurrection. That's what he wanted to do. And he prayed for us. In Ephesians 1.18, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what? His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same, and listen to this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's the power he's praying that we will know working with, uh, within us. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. I just want to finish with a little bit to help connect us um, to some of the things that I've been saying. Because for us, sometimes it doesn't feel like the resurrection. Sometimes it feels a bit more like the cross. 
Do you know what I mean? That we go, we're going through things in relationships, in families, in circumstances, in our jobs, in sickness, in different things, that most of us will be going through something this morning and something quite difficult that God has allowed. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 8 and 9. He said, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers. And he's just listed a huge list of very difficult circumstances that he has been through. And he said, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction. That word means pressure, intense pressure, the daily pressure of church life. Anybody experience that? The pressure that comes from relationships. The pressure that comes from being in need. The pressure that comes from worry. He said, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction of the pressure we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Have you been in that place? One of the Psalms calls it wit's end corner. Where we are at our wit's end. We just don't have the strength. And so that we despaired even of life itself. We wonder whether we were even going to be able to survive. The next verse says, We felt that we had received the sentence of death within us. It felt like we'd been sentenced to death. That's how it felt for Paul. But, and this is the hopeful verse, and we need to get, we need to understand this. But that was so. That was too. There was a purpose. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, whatever your relationship, whatever lack you feel, you, 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 whatever love you feel you lack, whatever forgiveness you think you need to give that you cannot give yourself, we are not to trust in ourselves, but in Him. That raises the dead. Amen. Amen. Jules, do your musicians want to return?